When the seventh month came and the Israelites had settled in their towns, all the people came together as one in the square before the water gate. They told Ezra, the teacher of the law, to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded for Israel. So, on the first day of the seventh month, Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, which was made up of men and women and all who were able to understand. He read it aloud from daybreak until noon, as he faced the square before the water gate in the presence of all the men, women and others who could understand. And all the people listened attentively to the book of the law. Ezra, the teacher of the law, stood on a high wooden platform built for the occasion. Beside him, on his right, stood Mattathiah, Shema, Aniah, Uriah, Hilkiah, and Marseah. And on his left were Pediah, Mishael, Malkijah, Hashem, Hashbadadanah, Zechariah, and Meshulam. Ezra opened the book. All the people could see him because he was standing above them. And as he opened it, the people all stood up. Ezra praised the Lord, the great God, and all the people lifted their hands and responded, Amen, Amen. Then they bowed down and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. The Levites, Jeshua, Bani, Sherebiah, Jamin, Akub, Shabbatai, Hodiah, Marseah, Keleta, Azariah, Jozebad, Hanan, and Peliah, instructed the people in the law while the people were standing there. They read from the book of the law of God, making it clear and giving the meaning so that the people understood what was being read. Then Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest and teacher of the law, and the Levites who were instructing the people said to them all, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people had been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. Nehemiah said, Go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks. And send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is holy to our our Lord. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. The Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be still, for this is a holy day. Do not grieve. Then all the people went away to eat and drink, to send portions of food, and to celebrate with great joy, because they now understood the words that had been made known to them. On the second day of the month, the heads of all the families, along with the priests and the Levites, gathered round Ezra, the teacher of the law, to give attention to the words of the law. They found written in the law, which the Lord had commanded through Moses, that the Israelites were to live in temporary shelters during the festival of the seventh month, and that they should proclaim this word and spread it throughout their towns and in Jerusalem, go out into the hill country, and bring back branches from olive and wild olive trees and from myrtles, palms and other leafy trees to make temporary shelters, as it is written. So the people went out and brought back branches and built themselves temporary shelters on their own roofs, in their courtyards, in the courts of the house of God and in the square by the water gate and the one by the gate of Ephraim. The whole company that had returned from exile built temporary shelters and lived in them. From the days of Joshua, son of Nun, until that day, the Israelites had not celebrated it like this, and their joy was very great. Day after day, from the first day to the last, Ezra read from the book of the law of God. They celebrated the festival for seven days, 
and on the eighth day, in accordance with the regulation, there was an assembly. Let me pray for us. Father God, you speak your words to your people. You have always done so. And we thank you that you continue to do so as we open up the Bible, that by your spirit you speak to us. And so, Father, I pray, speak to us tonight. Use uh, my words and your words uh, to speak to our hearts that we might leave as changed people. Thank you for your grace to us. Amen. Amen. So I don't know what you were expecting uh, this evening, but tonight you're going to hear a sermon about one of the longest church meetings ever. Uh, as we heard just now, this one lasted from daybreak until noon and consisted mainly of the Bible being read from the front. Uh, just a quick question, has anyone here been to a church meeting that's lasted that long? Perhaps one that felt like it had lasted that long? Um, we're not going to rival it this evening, don't worry. Um, Churches like ours place a high value on hearing the Bible read and preached. I think even we might balk a little at five hours straight. But how did the original hearers respond? And what can we learn from them? That's where we're going. Uh, but first, as promised, uh, let's recap the story so far. So God's people had been exiled to Babylon, but a number have been allowed to return to the land of Israel. First, in the book of Ezra, we hear about uh, the rebuilding of the temple. Then, after a number of years, Nehemiah arrives and they rebuild the walls of the city. So in chapter 6 and um, verse 15, which we read last week, it says, uh, So the wall was completed on the 25th of Elul in 52 days. And at the start of today's passage in chapter 8, we read that it's now the seventh month, which uh, is less than a week later. The seventh month was the beginning of uh, the Israelites' civil new year. So just like we have an academic year starting in September and a tax year starting in April, the Israelites celebrate the civil new year at the start of their seventh month. And just as our culture sees New Year as a time for resolutions and new beginnings, uh, so to the Israelites, it was similar. It was a national time of reflection, repentance. And so the people gather in Jerusalem once more, having gone out to uh, their towns, having finished the war, they come back in. And what is the first thing they do with the New Year? Well, they get up at daybreak and they gather to hear God's word. So... Chapter 8, when the seventh month came and the Israelites had settled in their towns, all the people came together as one in the square before the water gate. They told Ezra, the teacher of the law, to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the law had commanded for Israel. So on the first day of the seventh month, the new year, Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, which was made up of all the men and women and all who were able to understand he read it aloud from daybreak until noon as he faced the square before the water gate in the presence of all the men, women and others who could understand. And all the people listened attentively to the book of the law. Now I wonder, would that be our instinct as we start a new year or perhaps a new season of life? Uh, notice with me the people's initiative. They gather together and ask Ezra to bring out the book of the law of Moses, that is, the first five books of our Bible. 
They want to hear God's word. When we're starting a new year, perhaps a new job, a new project, a new season of life, do we turn to hear from God afresh? Or are we distracted by other things? Why particularly might they have wanted to start the new year like this? Well, it was drifting from God and his word that had led to their exile. It had led to the walls of Jerusalem from being destroyed in the first place. And now they've seen the miraculous happen. God brought them back into the land and the walls are rebuilt. Last week, we saw that finishing the wall in spite of the opposition from the people around them declared to the world that God was at work. It didn't just declare to the world, it declared to these people, God is at work. Having seen all that God had done for them, the Israelites then turned to hear from him. They don't want to make the same mistake again. In fact, now they long to hear him speak, getting there at daybreak. And Ezra reads to them until noon. Now, I don't know if you've ever seen um, a video of the Kimyal tribe in Papua in Indonesia when they receive a translation of the New Testament in their language for the first time. The whole tribe turns out to welcome the arrival of the printed books by aeroplane. They are singing, they are dancing. The local pastor (laughs) praises God that their eyes, like Simeon's, might see the king. Then they form a procession back to the village, continuing to dance, continuing to celebrate, carrying the Bibles. Like the people of God, they take great joy in God's word because they are a redeemed people. The God of the Bible, the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, the God of miracles and wonders and redemption, he is their God. They know him, they love him, and so they want to hear from him. Again, I wonder, is this our response when we stop to think of all that God has done for us? Do we feel that same desire to listen to him? We've all been rescued from a greater slavery than the Israelites. We've been rescued from slavery to sin. The foreign kingdom that kept us captive wasn't the Babylonians, it was the kingdom of Satan. God came to us in the person of his son so that we might be set free brought into a new kingdom, a new family. God calls us his children. When he speaks, it is as a loving father who lavishes every spiritual blessing on us. We all used to ignore him, but rather than leaving us captive, he came to us, he rescued us. We heard all that he has done for us, all that he is to us. Having heard that, will we ignore him again? Or will we listen expectantly, as the Israelites did? So with that call echoing in our ears, let's look down again at the passage and see what the people's response is. Um, So from verse 5, Ezra opened the book. All the people could see him because he was standing above them. And as he opened it, the people all stood up. I was tempted to get you to uh, act this out this evening, but I haven't. Uh, The people all stood up. 
Ezra praised the Lord, the great God, and all the people lifted their hands and responded, Amen, Amen. Then they bowed down and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. And that, all that, is before he even starts to read. And as he starts to speak, his assistants, the Levites who are named, uh, whose names I probably mangled, um, circulate round the crowd. Uh, so verse 7, the Levites instructed the people in the law while the people were standing there. They read from the book of the law of God, making it clear and giving the meaning so that the people understood what was being read. So it's uncertain exactly how they were helping, what they were doing. Um, it's possible the language of the law uh, was quite difficult for the Israelites of this day to understand, much like Shakespearean English can sometimes be difficult for us to understand. Um, whether that's true or not, what the Levites are basically doing is making sure that everyone understands what they are hearing. But given that the day started with such joy and such celebration, amen, amen, the response of the people might take us by surprise. Verse 9. Then Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest and teacher of the law, and the Levites who were instructing the people said to them all, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people have been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. Have you ever been so aware of your sin that it's made you weep? You're brought up short by something you've read, something you've heard, and suddenly you realise the magnitude of your sin and you break down and cry. As God's word is read, it exposes us. The book of Hebrews says it's a double-edged sword judging the attitudes of our hearts. I think that's something of what's going on in this passage. Imagine, for a moment, you are in the crowd that day. You are hearing God's law being read. It's perhaps the first time you've heard it. Most of it is unfamiliar. And every few minutes, you hear something. And the double-edged sword stabs you again as you realize just how far from God's standards you have fallen. The joy you had earlier evaporates as the sun rises. You're convicted. But then you hear a voice, voices telling you not to mourn or weep. You wonder how they could possibly say such a thing. But you hear them call out, verse 10. Nehemiah said, go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks and send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is holy to our Lord. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. The Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be still, for this is a holy day. Do not grieve. Then all the people went away to eat and drink, to send portions of food, and to celebrate with great joy, because they now understood the words that had been made known to them. What's changed? What turns the crowds weeping into rejoicing? Well, in verse 12 it says, They now understood the words that had been made known to them. The law that was read was meant to convict them of sin, yes. But it didn't leave them there. It also pointed to God, their saviour. All the sacrifices and festivals uh, that they would have heard about were there to show the people what their God was like. 
a God of grace and love, slow to anger, quick to forgive. And as they understood what it was that they had read, their sorrow turns to celebration. They have a party. They celebrate with great joy because they now understood the words that had been made known to them. God's word convicts them of sin, but it doesn't stop there. It also speaks of forgiveness, and so it leads to celebration. What about us? What about you? Have you ever had that feeling of being overwhelmed by your sin, perhaps moving you to tears? Well, take heart. God speaks good news into whatever depths of sin we find in ourselves. Personally, I'm quite good at distracting myself before getting to those depths. I stop myself feeling overwhelmed by sin by refusing to think about it. But as the Israelites discovered, God's word forces us to deal with the reality of our sin. And studying this passage has shown me just how little I'm willing to let scripture do that. I stop reading so quickly. It's it's easier that way. It's less challenging. But if we won't heed the Bible when it convicts us of sin, we won't experience the fullness of joy of knowing our sins are forgiven. We need to, as it were, push through the pain to let Scripture convict us and convince us of our sin and our need to change so that we can enjoy the enormity of God's grace to us in Jesus. Now, Jesus fulfills the law, the law that these people had read and had been so convicted by. We see in him the perfect standard we could never live up to. We see it taking Uh, We see our sin taking him to the cross. But then we see him rising with resurrection life, taking us up out of the grave with him. In God's word, we see even more than the Israelites back then, just how far God has taken our sins away, just how much he has done. So how much more then should we be wanting to feast and to celebrate? So, that was the first day of the year. The people hear the word of God and move from sorrow to celebration. Next, we find that the community leaders and the priests gather to look deeper at some of the specifics of the law. What should they be doing as a community that they have neglected? That seems to be the question they're asking. And we pick up at verse 13. On the second day of the month, the heads of all the families, along with the priests and Levites, gathered around Ezra the teacher to give attention to the words of the law. They found written in the law, which the Lord had commanded through Moses, that the Israelites were to live in temporary shelters during the festival of the seventh month, and that they should proclaim this word and spread it throughout their towns and in Jerusalem, go out into the hill country and bring back branches from olive and wild olive trees and from myrtles, palms and shade trees to make temporary shelters, as it is written. So the community leaders, they start to go through the law in depth and they discover that there is an upcoming festival later in the seventh month. The Feast of Booths is often called, or the Feast of Tabernacles. Um, This was a week where everyone made themselves temporary booths or shelters to live in, much like the Israelites had lived in tents 
when they are on the exodus from Egypt. Verse 16, so the people went out and brought back branches and built themselves temporary shelters on their own roofs, in their courtyards, in the courts of the house of God, and in the square by the water gate and the one by the gate of Ephraim. The whole company that had returned from exile built temporary shelters and lived in them. From the days of Joshua, son of Nun, until that day, the Israelites had not celebrated it like this, and their joy was very great. Having heard the word of God and responded in sorrow and celebration, the people of God now hear the word of God and obey, celebrating the Feast of Booths as God had commanded. They'd just finished building the wall, but now they're back out again, building shelters for the festival. And it's a festival like no other. From the days of Joshua, son of Nun, until that day, the Israelites had not celebrated it like this. I think my maths is right uh, when I say that's like claiming we'd thrown the biggest Christmas party since Henry VIII. And the people's joy was very great. But what were they celebrating? What was this festival about? Was it just an excuse to go camping, have some time off? They had a city to repopulate and rebuild. The wall was done, but the city still needed homes. Growing up, whenever there was something that needed doing, uh, my parents would be restless until it was complete. Then everyone was allowed to relax once it was done. With so much that needed doing in the city, what was the point of this week-long celebration? Why did they stop? Why did they have this week off? Why so much joy in celebrating it? Well, the Feast of Booths uh, had a couple of things that it pointed to. Firstly, it looked back to the Exodus, the Exodus from Egypt, where the Israelites um, had been freed from slavery and they had lived in tents for 40 years. As we learnt um, as a church, we looked at numbers last year and we learnt that the Israelites there, they were a people on a journey that weren't in the promised land yet but God was with them on the way. And the Feast of Booths reminded the Israelites of God rescuing them from Egypt and bringing them home. But interestingly, it focused on the journey and the temporary shelters because the festival didn't just look back. It encouraged the Israelites not to look for security in their present circumstances, but in the future promises of God. It encouraged them to look forward the temporary shelters were there to remind them that this was not their permanent home. Isn't that striking? Having just finished rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem, the Israelites now celebrate a festival designed to point them towards their future home, the new Jerusalem. God gave them this annual festival to remind them that their hope was not ultimately in the land of Israel, but in a new creation. So God says in Isaiah 65, See, I will create new heavens and a new earth. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind, but be glad and rejoice forever in what I will create. For I will create Jerusalem to be a delight and its people a joy. 
I will rejoice over Jerusalem and take delight in my people. The sound of weeping and of crying will be heard in it no more. This, that was the hope that this festival was pointing them towards. And so they hear God's word and they obey it. They have the festival, but it's not just obedience for the sake of it. It's pregnant with meaning. It points the people and the watching nations to the future security that God had promised. And so it leads to great joy. They'd rebuilt the walls. That was amazing. That was great cause for celebration. They'd heard God's word and they'd rejoice in their salvation. Now they obey God's word. And as they do so, it leads to great joy in anticipation of the future. Because if the old Jerusalem is pretty good, the new Jerusalem must be worth waiting for. So first, we saw hearing God's word leads to sorrow and then to celebration. Here, God's word leads to obedience. But obedience, uh, anticipation through obedience. And that's not just the case for them. In the same way, our obedience to God always points beyond itself. We no longer celebrate the same festivals, but every aspect of the Christian life is soaked with meaning. Obeying God speaks volumes to the world around us. And it leads to joy. God set up the world to declare who he is. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. And so going his way will always work for our good and ultimately our joy. We're going with the grain of the universe that God designed. As a theologian once said, if you go against the grain of the universe, you'll get splinters. What are some examples of this? Well, think of all the, um, the one another's the familial imperatives of the New Testament. Love one another, be generous to one another, speak the truth to one another. There is a purpose in our obedience. Living this way points to the reality of what God is like and our identity as his people. Jesus says that the world will know that we are his disciples because we love one another. Why? Because by loving one another, we point to the love of God himself. And we point to our identity as his children, members of his family. Or think uh, about sexual ethics, as we did a couple of weekends ago. God gives marriage as a picture of Jesus and his bride, the church. So for married Christians here, how you relate to your spouse speaks to those around you about God's faithfulness and love. For single Christians, by remaining chaste sexually, you are declaring both the all-sufficiency of knowing Jesus, but also you're pointing forward to that future day when there will be no marriage, because Jesus himself will be a husband to his people. And so, like the Israelites, we need God's word to teach us and train us in Jesus-centered godly living. We need to learn how to obey because it speaks to us and to others of the wonders of God and his gospel. Obedience has a point. Obedience, obeying God, learning from him, listening to him. 
and living it out, it speaks of him to the world. We need to learn what God's will is because it's what we're made for. It's how this world works best. And ultimately, it will lead to joy as we go with the grain of ignorance. And it will lead to celebration as others see. And as others see, this is, this is how God made things. This is who God is. This is what he's like. This is what he's done. And just like the obedience of the Israelites in this passage pointed forward to that new creation, they had that anticipation of the heavenly hope. So does ours. So, as we obey God's command to love, we see something here in the church of the community of heaven. Um, someone once described, uh, I thought this was quite witty, uh, the church as an eschatological flash mob. Eschatology is just talking about the end when, when Jesus comes back. And a flash mob is just everyone gathering together at a particular place. What he's saying is that as we gather together now, it's like we're acting out what's going to happen then when Christ calls all of his people together. The church, the community here, points to the community of heaven as we love one another. Or as we obey God's command to care for the poor and the needy and the outsider, we proclaim to the world that God is the God of the underdog. God is the God of the needy, and God is the one who welcomes the least and the lowest. God is the one who welcomes sinners, people like us. And as we obey God's commands to remain sexually pure, we speak of his all-sufficient love and our expectation of that future marriage. Obedience now points forward to the new creation then. Our role as a church now is to live in obedience to God not just because it's a, it's a list of um, things that he's just come up with, that, oh yeah, I'm just going to get them to do that, but because it speaks of who he is. We reflect who he is. We reflect who he is to the world around. So just as the Israelites spoke to the nations around them by, they've just finished building a wall, they go and live in tents for a week saying, our hope is not in this city, our hope is to come. It's the same for us. And actually God gives us a festival to celebrate in anticipation of that new creation. He gives us the Lord's Supper. In the Feast of Booths, the Israelites look back to their salvation from Egypt and look forward to their permanent home. In the Lord's Supper, we look back to the salvation won for us on the cross. We look around and celebrate the communion with God and with our brothers and sisters that Jesus won for us. And we look forward to the feast to come where we will be with our Lord forever. We're going to um, share the Lord's Supper together as an anticipation of that feast to come, but... Uh, before we do that, um, I'm going to pray and then we're going to sing. Our loving Heavenly Father, thank you that you 
speak to us. We wouldn't know anything about you. We wouldn't know what you were like if you did not speak. So thank you that you have spoken to us. Thank you that you have convicted us of the sin that separates us from you. Thank you that you've not left us there, but you have showed us your grace. You have shown us your gospel in Jesus as we see his death in our place. We we celebrate new life. And Father, we pray, please, would our lives be a word to the world? Would they see in us something of you, your character, your love, all that you have done? Would they see that so that in time they might come and hear you speak personally to them words of conviction but words of comfort as they turn to trust you. Please use us, use us as a church to be a light uh, to a city that desperately needs this good news. Thank you for your word, thank you for speaking to us and thank you for the cross that we will come to celebrate together. Amen.